Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast about deconstruction and finding your voice after high control religion. I'm Meg Weber. And I'm Lindsay Stranigan. Sarai Johnson. And today I am very excited to have Meredith Hawley from the Empowered Communication Podcast joining us today. Hi, Meredith. Hey, thanks for having me. Meredith Hawley is a workplace conflict mediator and the founder of Eris Conflict Resolution. She's also the co-host of the Empowered Communication Podcast, which focuses primarily on workplace communication. But Meredith was also a civil rights litigator and she was raised in a cult. So she knows a thing or two about how high control religion sets us up for disempowered communication. We're going to talk today about shifting that and empowering ourselves. So Meredith, why does high control religion set us up for disempowered communication? Yeah, so there's actually research about how um, in many high control uh, dynamics, not just religion, but also politics, family dynamics, workplace dynamics, that one of the one of the functions of it is that it separates people from their natural attachment with other like people in their family, with their natural friend groups. It separates you out and breaks those attachments. So high control religion, a lot of times what it does is it says we're the okay group and the other people are scary. Uh, we have the right answer. Other people have a dangerous answer. And so it separates you from how you would naturally build relationships. And then it reattaches you to the head of the high control religion, right? It says everybody else is scary, but we have this one person who knows all the answers. Hmm. And that person's answer is also your answer. And if it's not your answer, you're a dangerous person. And so that sets us up to not even know what our answer is to things, not even know how to communicate our needs, who we are, our identity, our preferences, what actually feels safe to us because it breaks our relationships that would build naturally and reattaches us to someone else who's supposed to have all the answers. So let's talk about that man typically who's in charge uh the cult what? leader and a man <laughs> no you're some lying ladies do it sometimes we got some I mean, lady ones there are some cult leader ladies for sure but in our high control religion ladies were not allowed to be in charge so That's that was right. not my experience generally speaking Hence, also yeah. i love that we just fucking dove right in there was Listen, no I no pleasantries no <laughs> I'm like, look, Meredith has been changing my brain and like helping me reimagine the way I view the world because of the way I was raised. And just full disclosure, Meredith and I have known each other for 15? 15 years? years? Okay. And let's not just say known each other. She's one of my best friends. Um, we, We have grown up together in ways. Um, knowing each other in our twenties pre, I didn't have a baby at the time. Like we were just ladies trying to figure out who we were. And I wasn't a lawyer. It was before (laughs) I was even a lawyer. Yeah. We've come through many iterations of self since (laughs) like we're different people than we were when we met. And I just know that the power that Meredith has in the way that she communicates is something that has not just empowered me, but um, has given me skills beyond what I, you know, had before. So now that we've got that uh, 
that foundation now that you all know now that you're all like obsessed with meredith like i am and you want to hear everything <laughs> and all her insights let's she rewind came the gate strong she was yeah, like I came out the gate. i love it no i was like great you like hooked us from the beginning i'm like exactly. yeah i'm in let's go get it now let's backtrack I did mention that you grew up in a cult. <laughs> I was not going to just brush right over that. It's obviously a um, a major thing, but I do want to say that this was pre-evangelicalism. Yeah. So, I mean, not pre the existence of evangelicalism, right. but pre-evangelicalism. <laughs> For you. She was in a cult in 1742 <laughs> in the Massachusetts yeah. Bay Colony. <laughs> um. I, yeah, so my parents, I sort of grew up um, not really having any kind of religious identification, not really having any kind of spiritual knowledge, anything like that. I was sort of raised, my parents were pretty hippie and they were like, don't tell this child no ever. And that's going to be our main parenting style. So that's kind of nice, you know, yeah. like had a <laughs> nice a good way I, to start. Yeah, I did a lot of slip and sliding, um, like probably more than a child should. <laughs> And um, and then that was the thing that you pinpointed as a child. Like, if they're not gonna say no, then slip and slide twenty four seven slide all the time. (laughs) I had a slip and slide birthday party. It was fucking magical. I had you know the ones with that like Mm had the pool at the end that you like slide into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, incredible, amazing, amazing device. I broke my finger on it, which wasn't ideal, but that's what happens when your parents never say no to you. Sometimes that makes sense. Um, so many scrapes and bruises, man. Like our bodies were, yeah, they were really, yeah, really torn up from those by things. ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then my parents found these meditation tapes and, um, started using them and pretty much we moved to Oregon to the middle of nowhere, bought the cult leaders old house. And my dad kind of became friend, best friends with him. I went to the school, my dad worked for him, you know, we became pretty involved. But the basis of the cult was like one of the foundational teachings was that women are evil. And it was pretty overtly taught just women are the root of evil, even the apple. It wasn't glossed over like you see in a lot of evangelical circles. It just was like, no, literally, it's in the Bible. We found it. Women are evil. Women need to submit. That's their only hope. Which was very contradictory to me as a child who has never, (laughs) never received a no, you know? Yeah. I was very special. You know, I was a daddy's girl. So I kind of got the cloak of okayness as a girl. I was betrothed to the grandson of the cult leader. And then we left. How? Wait, pause there. How old were you when you were betrothed? Like seven Okay. All right. Maybe some of this stuff is interesting because you kind of look back and you're like, that's probably not true. Right. Like maybe I was just a kid and I kind of interpreted it weird and that probably didn't happen. But then my brother has done, my little brother has gone back and done some deep dives and went back and revisited like a, um, uh, like group session. Manifesto. Oh, it's like, I don't know their manifesto. What it still exists, I think, in on some level, and my brother has sort of revisited stuff and been like, "No, that was real. Like that, that wow. stuff really happened. That was true." Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a very, um, like, dramatic exit from the cult, and then I was like, "Okay, I'm, you know, ten. 
I'm going to get some stuff together for us. Like, this family needs some guidance. So by the time I was 13, I was like, listen, we're going to a church that a lot of people go to. We're just going to go to a normal church. So that was when I sort of entered the evangelical. And that was like normal. Right. (laughs) You went from like. Yeah, you went super culty to like cult adjacent, cultish. I mean, it was pretty culty. It was like friendly. When people were like, no, 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 things aren't sexist here. I'd be like, oh, I mean, it's weird how you say the same things, but then you want to say that it's not, that it's like fair and reasonable. Like it was a little more gaslighty, I think. (laughs) Or like um, more mainstream gaslighty. I'm not going to say all cults are gaslighty on some level, but like it was Gaslighty makes it sound so friendly, you know? (laughs) It's just a little gas gaslighty, lady. no big deal. <laughs> it's yeah. like a fairy yeah. does it. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I I find it so interesting that at such a young age you were able, I mean, young age to me, I think I found my voice at 40. So for you to find a voice at 13 and then be able to go to your parents and say, I've got some ideas here. Um there's something is it something in you that's always been different like have you always pushed against the control of other people on you or has this been something that you have developed over time I mean I think I was a parentified child so I think in some ways like it was expected of me and I think it is a family dynamic where like you're the oldest and it's time for you to become the parent and like it's not uncommon I think in families for that to happen it's I don't think that that necessarily I think I have a I'm an Aries so I have like a fiery way of stepping into that of like here's what we're gonna do and we're going for it but I don't I, I think any child who's sort of put into a parentified situation does step up to it because you don't know anything different like you. I, I think so. My parents put me into a seventh day Adventist school and I'd never read the Bible or heard of the Bible. So I had to take a Bible class and I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, you assholes didn't set me up for this whole class. So I started reading <laughs> the Bible and got one of those like youth Bibles. And then it had all these instructions for how to be a normal kid. So I was like, well, here you go. There's instructions. <laughs> Come on. But wait, do you remember which youth Bible? Because this is important. I, yeah, it was the NIV. Like it was the one, the main one, the the good one, the with, cool one. With was the it colorful? On it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 We, yeah. we all know it. The teal, yes. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I saw the cover, I'd recognize it. Anyway, I mean, all we know is you got basic instructions before leaving Earth, yeah. and you were down. <laughs> Perfect. I just needed from Bible. Yes, I needed someone I'm... to talk. I was like, it's right here. <laughs> yeah, in the Bible, so... instructions on being a normal kid. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, very yeah. handy book. Timeless, some might say. Yeah. <laughs> so from this very exciting youth life that you led (laughs) going from never saying no to you as a woman are the root of all evil to you kind of taking some leadership in your family and saying at least I'm going to help us get towards something that feels a little bit more normal when did you do your full ghost how old were you when you ghosted religion 
Um, I ghosted fully in my 20s, I want to say like 26, maybe 27. I, um, at that point, I had gone from like fully in on, like I went to a mega church. Um, I don't know the songs the way Sarai knows the songs. And <laughs> knows it. Like I'm not that level because I was never on the worship team. Yeah. 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 We were cult plus. So that's, yeah. Yes. Yes. We were yeah. fancy VIP membership. I wasn't that cool. <laughs> I was too nerdy, but, um, you know, it's I probably why, worked... probably why you were able to get out in your twenties. So good for you. Yeah, actually <laughs> worship mm-hmm. team really does suck in. Really I worked at the church, though. I worked in the bookstore. I worked in the publishing area. I did a bunch. And then I went to college. And when I went to college, I started going to a Presbyterian church that was very academic. And it was really interesting because the pastor was just super academic, didn't, like, try to speak down. He didn't use alliteration. He didn't try to have <laughs> a cheesy theme. He just was like, here's the academic background of this particular area. It was It was also a really big church. But it was interesting to go somewhere that was – much more intellectually encountering biblical stories and it was a really different attitude towards it and it gave you sort of a different type of wonder about like what is spirituality and like having this academic like way of encountering wonder was really interesting but it really changed how i thought about religion and then i went back to sort of my home mega church and i was like oh no this is dumb i can't do this anymore <laughs> and then i sort of started with a bible kind of just struggling and i got to a point where i could only read jonah and ruth and i was like these two are solid stories i can read mm-hmm. jonah and ruth any day of the week like they're just awesome but i just really like, like college was when I was like, oh, Paul kind of just sucks. And then like yeah. that kind of started unraveling like my tolerance of random stuff that we just say in church. And then I ended up going to a church yes. with a woman who was the pastor and she was really fun and more like a camp leader. And it was like a fun place to go. And really good community and then she retired and kind of set in a regular guy like youth pastor type guy and I was like I can't do this anymore like I'm just done but I had a kind of for me I had a graceful exit from from Christianity I guess I would say like for me it wasn't very dramatic I just was like oh I'm not gonna have this guy tell me what to do right now like that's Mm -hmm. not what my life is gonna be I don't like this guy or want to be similar to him and he doesn't really like me either so I'm just gonna be done with this and then I I remember thinking like having a lot of angst about like what God would think about me for leaving church and then I was Mm -hmm. like you know what if I really believe that God is at all smart and at all loving we can talk about it later like he'll bring it up with me if he, yeah if he has a problem I think like I in think... the afterlife or like yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah so you're kind of like just you know we'll we'll have a co- we'll have a talk we're both I good at communicating now and it was this moment for me of really taking responsibility for myself and my mm-hmm. choices and not saying that this pastor like I, the, the old pastor called me actually at that church and really kind of laid into me that I was making the wrong choice and I was like possessed by satan and oh, like cool. satan like the woman me. the yeah. lady that you liked yeah Dang. 
Yeah, like Satan had. I mean, you must have been an influential person within the community because when an Mm -hmm. influential person leaves, it's very disruptive, Mm -hmm. and everyone and it kind of shakes everyone else. Like, well, if Meredith has Mm -hmm. questions or if Meredith isn't into this guy, so yeah, you were kind of uh, undermining her choice. I Mm -hmm. I would say at like leadership. Yeah, and I sort of to her was like, I love you and I respect mm-hmm. you, and this is just not even a question for me. Like, there's no scenario where this guy's gonna be my leader, and I'm sorry, you know, and kind of like held space for her struggling about it. But I was like, that does cross the line for me. Like, at, okay, like can I just of- say this is another moment where you are showing such strength in your convictions and such true power in your communication skills like in ways that you one could hold space for somebody else's hard harsh reaction or feelings but two to also express yourself and know truly like no this is my conviction this is my relationship um with god and that it's not for anyone else um that feels huge to me, especially thinking about doing that in my 20s. Um, but you didn't stop there. You then decided that you were going to go become a civil rights attorney. Yes. You weren't done <laughs> with standing up for people. It was my, now I know, it was my Saturn return. I was losing a lot of friendships. I was making a lot of transitions. I My mom died during that time. I was like went from saying, okay, someday I'll be the kind of woman that is acceptable. Okay, someday I'll be normal. Someday I'll figure it out. Like if I can get another youth Bible, it'll give me the instructions and and they will like me. To being like, I either need to live this life being who I truly am or I actually need to give up on life. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have to be myself or really just own that I'm outsourcing all of my choices and I'm not really living or taking responsibility for anything that I'm doing, which I do think high control, any kind of high control religion, high control family situation sets you up to never have to take responsibility for any of your choices, to never have to own. You say, I have to do this. God told me to do that. I'm like, this is what we do as a group. Mm -hmm. Like, you have all these identities wrapped up in have to do this. And so you never have to own, I am choosing this because I don't like my other options, but this is my choice. Ugh, I love Dude. this part of every story. I think the crux of getting to the point where you realize something has to change is yeah. so yeah. crucial. And this sense of, there's a decision to be made. There's only three choices that you can make. And I and this is like, this is all from like Leave and Love from way back when I was doing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff with that. Um, the choice is you can try to unsee what you've seen and make yourself yeah. as small as the box you've been living in, the box that you've constructed out of what you perceived of other people's expectations for you. Like that's literally what it is. Uh, I used to talk about it as like, I'm living inside a statue of what I thought other people wanted me to be. And I'm not this person. And it's not healthy. Um, And and you can also choose not to choose. And I think that's kind of what a lot of us will spend our whole lives in choose not to choose. Because you get to be 
you get to let go of your agency, which also is what lets go of your lets you get freed of that responsibility and accountability. And we we talk about Meredith and I talk about this sense of um, accountability versus absolution a lot. Yes. And there's there's a sense of passivity to the places and the ways that we choose to not inhabit our power. And the other choice, the first being you can choose to try to un see what you've seen and make yourself small and put yourself back in a suffocation box, <laughs> which is what yeah. that is. And the parts of you will squish out in weird ways and or you will literally like die a soul death in there. Like that will yeah. happen. Choose not to choose or you can choose. And and when you choose, it's scary. And it also does of these other things that you know you're not. And so you can step into who you actually are is a it's like a it's a real thing and i do think oh. that those moments of crisis are just the most incredible empowerment moments where it's not like you're waiting to be empowered like it all even that word i want it to be more mm -hmm. like um action like mm -hmm. you are empowering yourself because mm -hmm. you're accessing the power that you always have had which is yeah, I can make decisions. I am who I am. And you you found that person and, and inhabited well, it so fully. And also that that ex exactly like what you're saying, that existed anyway. I think when we're in a high control situation, we can a lot more easily see the places where we're victimized than the places where we're having impact. Mm -hmm. And I think we're kind of trained because there's that dynamic of breaking the outside um, attachments that dynamic says you are a victim of those outside people anyway. And so there's a lot of rhetoric around you being impacted by the outside world, right? That we're in this safe cocoon. This is the only safe place, but we're bombarded constantly by the arrows of the devil, right? And so you're already- Don't want to in... give that guy a foothold. <laughs> the footholds are everywhere. You've got to be vigilant, right? But because we see ourselves as so- have to like a have to mindset uh there's one path that's good all the other paths are evil bombarded by the by all these flaming arrows all the time i think that like really what it is is owning you already are a person with power and you already are using that power like you can lie to yourself and say that you're not but when we, I mean, for me, one of the impactful things is one of my best friends in college was a lesbian. And I obviously was taught that that was, you do, you hate the sin, not the sinner, but you know, you hate the sin for mm -hmm. sure. Like for sure. you got to protect yourself from all of the evil rhetoric that might come at you. And my friend was so patient and she was so like smart and she was so willing to own her stuff and her impact on the world. And she just sat with me and another friend who really were raised that like LGBTQIA identity was just like a threat, you know, yeah. and really willing to sit with us. And I had to, at the end of the day, be like, I love her and I like her better than the people who are telling me that this is wrong. And that made a big impact on me also because I was like, you know, I am choosing to go to these places that are harmful to her when I like her better than them. You know, like mm -hmm. that is already an impact. I'm choosing to be in these circles and in these conversations 
where there's some thought that she might not be okay. And that's just dumb to like, I'm already having this impact. I'm already empowered. But once you own, I'm already having this power. Already what I say makes a difference to people. Already what I do inspires them or like harms them, right? Already we have harm and we have inspiration. And then then you can be intentional about it. It's not that we were ever disempowered. It's that we're not intentional about it because we're outsourcing it to some kind of leader. Mm-hmm. Well, and we, the power and balance, I think this whole, like the God told me, like receiving special instruction from God, right? That often came from the people in power, the men in charge of us. They were hearing God all the time as Always to what we were supposed to do. But then yeah. if like we were to hear God about something that wasn't the same, that they, it was just like, well, you're, you're hearing the devil. Like it was such yeah. a convenient way to, again, gaslight people into being like, well, that can't be God because God told me this. I mean, like. I joke about it, but the amount of like boys that like broke up with me because they heard from God and I was like, hmm, weird. I didn't hear that same thing from him, but like you do you, which means go date, a, go date another girl immediately that like the Lord must have led you to clearly. Uh, but I mean, come on, lustful. like how, like, so it was such a convenient excuse for people to, to do what you wanted to do. And maybe yes. you didn't feel like you had the agency to do. You would just say, well, God told me like so fucking convenient. And I yeah. always struggled with it because I didn't hear the voice of God. And it was, I am a person who trusts my guts. And that was very weird in evangelicalism to like, I have trusted myself. A lot of it comes from like childhood trauma, stuff being around me, me having to take care of myself. So I knew that I could rely on myself, but I kind of had to couch it in religious language because people wouldn't fucking believe me. You know what I mean? Like I would have to kind of pull the like, uh, yeah, God told me where I'm like, no, I told me like I told me (laughs) I don't want to do this. So I said, no, it was God. I love that because mine was opposite. I was like, oh, I'm graduating from college. What am I going to do? The one thing I know I don't want to do is work in a church, but I have a job offer to go be a (laughs) teacher at a church, but also the college pastor and also the contemporary worship leader service person or whatever and I went and did it because I thought oh probably the thing that I don't want to do is what God wants me to do because I also read the book of Jonah a lot and over identify with Jonah as a character (laughs) I'm like well I must be trying to run and then I was like no that was actually really good insight I should have never come to this horrible horrible place (laughs) oopsies my bad totally totally Yeah, but I love that the power is already there. And I think that's an important part of like empowerment isn't something you get from someone else. It's something that you are able to tap into within yourself when you exactly are able to listen to the like little rebellious parts of yourself that are asking questions or that are saying this doesn't feel right. Like this is weird. Why am I behaving in all these ways when I think I'm this other kind of a person, you know, like yeah. I'm being very passive. I'm being, I'm taking a lot and I'm not really standing up for myself. Like what's that about? Yeah. And when you're told your whole life not to trust yourself, that you are a sinful, flawed, broken human being, and that we're only supposed to trust in God and not ourselves, it's a really hard thing to come out of and figure out how to communicate your wants and your needs and to be true to yourself. Totally. And like Sarai's saying, I think that a lot of times what people mean when they say, God told me this, is this is what I don't want to do. So mm-hmm. that must be mm-hmm. like, that must be a signal from God that, because I hate well, this. 
And it's the suffering yep. thing, right? Yes. Too, we're supposed to oh, do because yeah. if you want to do something, then it's probably evil, right? Like you're yeah, giving in to the desires of the will. flesh. Your desires of the flesh. That's what it is. That's a good one. What has been a while? Weird way. It makes me want to eat a peach. Actually, that is the desire <laughs> of my flesh right now. Just mm. a juicy like a peach. ripe, yeah, like a ripe summer peach that you eat over the sink, and that's just so drippy, and it. It's the one yeah. time I can handle a drip going down my arm. Actually, I still hate it. I really hate that. <laughs> anyway. That's why you do it over the sink. So it drips You're over right. the sink and not your arm, okay? So well, I like that the there's a process now. already in place for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that idea of shrouding your needs or your wants in God language because then it's acceptable. It it It's still... Yes, maybe we're getting to do some of the things that we want or some of the things that we like. Um but it's still not mine. It's I, I still don't have ownership of those things because I've I've given the glory to God or I've I've said it was God's will um for my life. So help us with that shift in mindset. Mm-hmm. The the ways like how how can we know ourselves in different ways so that we already recognize the power that we already possess? And then where where do we get the the boldness or the confidence to kind of utilize it instead yeah. of, you know, shrouding it in this God verbiage? Well, I mean, the first thing that I'll say is like not everybody – I know this sounds kind of funny, but not everybody needs to be loud and stand up for themselves and courageous. That is not true to everybody. Everybody has a different, unique – authenticity, you know? And so for some of us being true to ourselves means being quieter, taking Mm -hmm. a step back, taking more rest, uh, not getting involved in fights that are not our fights, right? Like Mm -hmm. it just is really nuanced, I think. And I use these three pillars for empowered communication. And the second one is reprogramming hegemony. Hegemony is the dominance of one group over another group that then becomes a self-perpetuating system where the dominant group doesn't have to do anything to impose that dominance. So, for example, in high control religion, we were talking about how cult followers perpetuate the narrative of the cult against each other. It's not really that the cult leader needs to take a lot of action to make sure that the rules are enforced. We do it to ourselves. But you see this also with like sexism and racism and ableism and um, homophobia. You see it in a lot of ways where like women tell other women, hey, you better like button your blouse because you're going to cause your brother to stumble. That's an example of hegemony where a person in the non-dominant group is reinforcing the rules. So when we look at our own programming, we're looking at the ways that we're enforcing the old rules against ourselves. So even in that binary thing that we're talking about, where we can either comply or we can go out and say all the scariest things and lose all our relationships, we're reinforcing that dominant, that narrative of the dominant group that our suffering causes some benefit, right? Us being uncomfortable or us like complying like that those are the two options that you're out in the outer darkness or you're in in the safe inner group. We're still reinforcing that against ourselves, which then creates that dominance dynamic. Ew. That makes a lot of sense. 
yeah yeah that's hate it but you I'm see so it all mad the time it. like yeah it's yeah. everywhere the the it's woman in the blouse it's too it's like when we talked to dr laura and how she was like the um the modesty enforcer right yes. like women who are just like we talk about we, we're women who have big boobs all of us and we yeah. our whole lives were like gotta hide that away yeah yeah, put that I shit under, under a t-shirt. Bushel. Yes. <laughs> well, um, and you put a even, bushel on it. You even see it with women. I mean, any woman that's doing that is trying to be helpful, right? And then you also see it in like secular culture, like in the workplace or even in the church of like, well, you just ask that question in a little bit of a tone that's not going to be received well. You were a little too quiet in that meeting. You were a little too loud in that meeting. You're you're you using too much. You face. You need to fix your face. Yeah. Yeah. We're like just constantly monitoring each other in a way that you don't necessarily see white hetero cis men do like they they'll fight each other, but they're not necessarily monitoring each other for compliance Mm. in the same way that that you see women do it. So reprogramming hegemony. A lot of times they use thought management tools to reprogram your thinking towards the the cult narrative, right? So they use things that have been psychologically proved, like that are peer-reviewed, research-based, to question thinking and have flexible thinking, but then they use them to redirect you towards the thinking that the cult wants you to have. So for example, um, like, Uh, the model that I use for reprogramming hegemony comes from a cognitive behavioral therapy model. And it says that um, like basically what I say is you can neutralize your external circumstance, right? And if you don't neutralize your external circumstance, then you're going to perpetually believe that you are powerless related to it because it seems like an observation that the external circumstance has power over you. A lot of the ways that people say something similar is they say that uh, reality is neutral. I think that that's, that can be like a misleading way to talk about reality and it can be a weaponized, like it's pretty easily weaponized to say reality is neutral. So the way that cult leaders use that is they say, well, I'm neutral and I'm just telling you what to do, but it's your choice to do it, but Mm. I'm just telling it to you and I'm just little old me and I'm neutral, right? But that sort of misses the dynamic that the social dynamic that you're bought into when you're in any kind of group, right? There's always some kind of hierarchy in a group. There's always social currency. Like you get friendships. Sometimes you get money out of being in groups. Like it misses the power dynamic of it, right? So I think one of the things, one of the first steps, I just say that it's neutralizing reality. You don't have to pretend that your reality is neutral. You're just as an exercise neutralizing it. And the way that you neutralize it is you write down everything that happened. Then you take out all the adjectives just as an exercise. You don't have any descriptive words. So you rewrite it without any descriptive words. You rewrite it without any charged words. So um, uh, attacker is a charged word, for example. Um, He's my abuser. Those are charged words that you might take out of your description. And then you test out what you've written and make sure every, it's so generic 
that everybody in the world would agree with it. This is kind of the first step to separating yourself from the stories that you've been programmed to tell about whatever situation you're in, right? Then the second step is testing out what your thinking is and and even being open to the possibility that there's different thinking about it. So if you neutralize, for example, you're in a dynamic where it's a religious dynamic and there's a leader, and if you say what you see is true, then you know you're going to be excluded from the group or punished somehow. You're going to experience retaliation, right? So um, I'm trying to think about an example without using names, but um, <laughs> let's say Mary is your cult leader, and you know Mary's right about everything, and Mary has to be. She, she has helped you so much. She has really impacted your life. She's made you think about things differently. Like you had a lot of blame in your family and Mary helped you release that blame and know that you could really do anything with God's help and that God's on your side and God loves you. And Mary has been this voice for good for you. And now Mary wants you to work for the daycare center for free every Sunday. And that doesn't feel great to you, but you know Mary has helped you so much, right? So you, a lot of times what comes up for people is, um, well, Mary has the voice of God. Mary speaks with God. Mary has a practice that I want to, like, I want to be like Mary. I Like, all these things come up. And we don't think that those are thoughts. We think that they're observations because of our experience, right? And if you can even be open to the idea that it's a thought, then you know that you're in, you can still intentionally choose it. You can still intentionally choose the thought, Mary has really impacted my life. Mary has like a in with God. Mary hears the voice of God. You can choose it if you want to. But if you're not open to the idea that there are other thoughts you can choose, then you know you're kind of um, disempowered, I think. Even if you continue, even if you say, I want to choose this and I believe it and I think it's true, you're still more empowered because you've owned your choice to choose it. We're, we're kind of shifting our perspective to say that it's not this leader that is hearing the voice of God or that knows all the things, but that they're just another person who has some insights and that those insights or those things that they're sharing with us are optional and that we get to have a choice of whether or not it's something that we are going to embody in ourselves or we're going to agree with or something that we're going to deny or say no thank you to. I think that second part of like saying no thank you is the, is the part, a real struggle part of mm -hmm. saying like this doesn't, you know, my spirit doesn't feel good or like I'm not aligned with this. But like, like Lindsay was saying, if you voice any of that, then instantly it's the devil. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a voice mm -hmm. of someone who's coming to harm you because mm -hmm. Mary would never do anything that would harm you. Mm -hmm. um, it, it becomes a real cognitive struggle. Like it, it's, it's a battle, you know, the angel and devil on your shoulders is like a real yeah. life feeling that we get. It's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a pin, a pinpoint for me, like a pain point for me of, of actually being able to have the knowledge of myself in myself of like, I don't agree, or this isn't something that, yeah, that resonates right. with me, but then expressing that 
having the boldness, I guess, for me um, to reject an authority, a person in authority's opinion or request or take us to the next step, like help yes, me no, get I to also, that. Yeah, go ahead, Sarai. Yeah. I just wanted to dwell on this for just one second because I, I, I heard you saying something a little, a little different even, which is the point before you even have an inkling. Mm -hmm. of what your thought is like you don't know that there's another thought that you could be having mm -hmm. reprogramming that kind of like it, i i call it like scripts i talk mm -hmm. about it like we have scripts in our culture and we mm -hmm. all know what happens when you cheat on someone in a relationship there's narratives they're built in we already know how mm -hmm. they play out it's like oh you're married you bicker like an old married couple like there, there are things that we know are like we agree as a culture or something and I, I feel like what, where I'm hearing Meredith even talk is giving yourself at all the space to allow a different kind of a thought to come in. Right. Like, and I, yeah. yeah. I think what Meg said does highlight some of it though, where it's like, we do get caught in this binary yeah. of either I have to say the scariest thing and ruin all of my relationships, <laughs> or I have to be totally silent and compliant. And those are my mm -hmm. only two options, but I know I'm not brave enough and also it's from the devil if I say the thing, if I do the terrible one. So I'm going to do the one that's safe. And so that's usually how we look at those dynamics is just as a total binary. Like I either have to do status quo or the most horrific thing that's ever happened on the face of the planet where I yeah. lose all my relationships and everyone hates me and I go to hell. So like obviously we're going to stay in status quo because the other option <laughs> doesn't make any sense to do, right? Um, and so I think part of the de-escalating is like – so say let's an ex like use the Mary example. You see Mary tell a parishioner you need to go spank your kid. And in your experience, physical violence in the home, like you've experienced trauma of physical violence in the home, you know that you don't agree with that in your core. Like that is something that is true to you. And you're trying to get on board. You're trying to get on board with Mary because you know she's the voice of God. You're trying to get on board, but it feels untrue to you and it feels unsafe, right? So you go in that binary dynamic of either I need to comply or I need to ruin everything and burn everything down and devastate my life, right? And those are my two options. So in the first step, it literally, you do want to write out. I heard Mary say, you need to spank your kid, but it's too scary to say anything about it. And, and then you write out everything that comes up. And it really is a writing exercise, which I know is annoying for people. But like when you see something on paper, it immediately becomes more creative and less scary. And it gives you more space. And then you literally want to take out adjectives until it's like Mary is a human who said words, right? And then that gives you a little more room or like your narrative is spanking is really damaging, but I can't say anything because Mary's the voice of God, right? That's the kind of binary dynamic that you're in. You want to neutralize that to um, humans have hands, kids have bodies. Uh, it is possible for me to say words, something like that, right? Like hmm. total neutrality, not arguing with that binary thinking. You don't want to debate back and forth of like, do I want to 
be of the devil or do I want to comply? Like that is just not a useful thought loop to get involved in. Then what you want to do is think about the end result that you want, the outcome that you want, and only that. If the outcome that you want is kids in this church are safe, it's not about confronting Mary necessarily. It's not about necessarily like doing something scary and burning things down. It is about taking one action towards kids being safe. If the outcome that you want is I show up as more of myself and take more authentic, like I'm more of me, sometimes it is saying what you want because the outcome that you want is just expressing yourself, right? But if you know what the outcome is that you want, then you can direct your action towards that and kind of just break out of the debate situation of worst case scenario or total compliance. I am not a huge verbal person. Um, It's been a struggle for me, you know, since I was born. I, you know, I'm the youngest and had a very um, rough environment um, in my home growing up. My dad was an alcoholic and very verbally abusive and um, controlling. And so I kind of always kind of I was always taught that, you know, the man's the head of the household, just as the pastor is the head of the church, just as God is the head of everyone. We all know the umbrellas. And <laughs> for me to have just hearing you say that I don't have to talk <laughs> to make action, that I can just take an action that's not verbalizing, that's not communicating in a verbal way. It's like opening my mind to realize that we communicate in so many different ways, right? And that it does not always have to be with words and that we can communicate things through our behaviors or our actions, not in a passive aggressive way, but yeah, that's, that is, wow. Okay. So I'm going to (laughs) sit with that for a minute and just be like, oh my gosh, I have so much more power than I ever realized in this moment because it's not just about me formulating the correct words or having the best argument. Well, and I think one of the things Sarai said is super key too. And I think Lindsay, you kind of said this too, you, you all were talking about it that, um, like to me, so I had this friend who was talking about her relationship with Jesus versus her relationship with the church and how she was kind of struggling with the oppression in the church and this idea in her mind that of Jesus as compassion, as a symbol of compassion and, and love. And I do think like the thing that came up for me with it is the story of Jesus is a story of glorification of suffering. And Mm. I think that we often say and like, I'm not saying anyone shouldn't believe in that. And I'm not trying to denigrate the idea of Jesus as compassion and love, but like, ultimately the idea is a humanity fucked up so much that all God could think of to do was murder his son and that that's going to solve it, you know? And so that does in itself glorify his death as a meaningful moment of, um, absolution, like Sarai said. And I think 
like we all have to know that that's kind of programmed in us, that there mm. is this idea of if I suffer, some good is going to come of it. And that we're kind of, our brains are going to track back to that because it was so implanted. And so I think a lot of times when we're trying to become um, a more empowered version of ourselves, trying to express ourselves more, we replace the old narrative of you need to comply with a new narrative that's also terrible and feels terrible to us because our brain is used to saying suffering leads to good, right? Yeah. And so you have to kind of be like, if if ultimately I want joy to exist in my neighborhood, if that's my goal, if ultimately I want – um I don't even like to see women show up with all of their skills in the workplace and at home and just be nurtured and loved in that and just really able to like shine in what they're able to do and in their talents. If those are my goals, me torturing myself just is not a component of that. Like there's no scenario where even the new step being forcing myself to do something new that feels terrible that does not contribute to that goal. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit or a lot on here before. <laughs> Just the the glorification of suffering is something we all have a problem with. And especially like how that permeates our thinking for years to come and how mm. it, it ends up with people in abusive relationships. Yes. And I would even say, uh, you know, I know you do a lot about the workplace. I think people stay in jobs that they hate for yes. much longer mm -hmm. than they should. People, we are programmed not to seek our own happiness and contentment, right? Because that is desires of the flesh. And so right. I think that um, uh, figuring out how to shed those layers yeah. again which is why we have an entire fucking podcast about this yeah. <laughs> because it will take us forever but yeah it's it's all really interesting and it's, i, I want to go back to what you said i think that it is so important what you said about how we do not all have to be the loudest and like not every strategy is going to work the same for every person and i think that um yeah, which I, is so contrary to person. And so I'm always the one that, you know, I think that it's so easy for us to I think the pendulum swing too is I joke that once evangelical, always evangelical. I think that there's a lot of us that like it's just about something else, right? Like we want to preach whatever new gospel we found. Yes. And I think it's really important to push back against that and realize like just because you found some peace and contentment or a way out does not mean that that's everybody else's way out or everybody else needs to find this new way of thinking. And right. yeah, because it is that mindset of like, there's one, there's one mm -hmm. or then there, there's one way or then there's outer darkness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In infinite ways. Yeah. Infinite. Well, yeah, and like, like here, like the, all of us here. And then I, and yeah. again, we say this a lot, but I think it's worth repeating. It's just don't get trapped in that singular mindset of like that, you know, I got out of one thing and now I'm into this one thing and I get being excited about it. You found freedom, but also just understand that freedom is going to look different for everybody. And like, sure, maybe invite people to join you in that, but also be okay if they don't and if they find their peace in a, on a different path. Yeah. One trick that I've sort of started using, and this kind of comes from human design, is um, does it sound like pizza to you? And like, 
I think that a way, because Meg was kind of asking, how do you even get in touch with what you want and how you um, how you want to show up and what that individually is for you. And to me, the way to counteract the inclination to just perpetuate suffering and glorify suffering is, does it sound like pizza right now? And for me, pizza always sounds good. So, but, so it might be ice cream. It might be uh, coffee. It might be something different. Like, but does it sound like that as a check-in? And then that's how you know what you want, right? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't sound like that, you know, you can still do it. It doesn't I mean like, it's bad. doesn't sound like pizza. I think that's cute. I, it's also, I think it, it, there's also a lot of value and benefit in learning how to feel your body and yes. your body also does indicate for you what you want. And, and we are taught in this particular high control religion, and I'm sure in many others to make our bodies a slave for Christ, you know, make, subject yourself to complete detachment, not just from others you know, in your world or the natural way you would be, but also from your actual bodily needs every day. Like you can starve, you can never go to the bathroom, you know, until the end of the day, like we, and we set up systems in our culture to also kind of keep us in this automaton type state where we're scheduled, we have obligations and whatever. Yeah. Um, I think it is really valuable though, to notice the difference between like, a body yes and a body no and to me pizza is that te- like I, I love it didn't the pizza. work for me for a long time yeah. I could say like what does my body want and I'd be like what's over there oh what's yeah. my dog doing oh, I mean more like asking it a specific question totally like okay is yeah. this is this a yes if it's a yeah. yes you feel like you're open you know yeah. if it's a no any like flexation toward the, your center like you're hunching or you're feeling like your shoulders are going up or you're otherwise just like not feeling comfort that those are all just normal good indicators and I think it's helpful for us to also get into our bodies a little bit more and I like does it sound like pizza is a way to do that and so good good trick yeah I'm just here to make everything less fun just kidding I just have (laughs) spent my entire life ignoring those impulses of like Yeah. yeah if my body says no you fucking do Ignore it. Ignore that shit. Double and you down. do it anyways. Yeah. And so, yeah. I like yeah. So, this. This is a first it's been phase fun for all of us to kind yeah. of re reintroduce ourselves to ourselves and to do it in ways that feel safe and feel simple, even that there's ease to it, that we don't have to just jump off the cliff and hope that we land in the right spot. That this this one thing that we can all start to do, asking ourselves. I mean, I do this, like, did I eat today? Mm -hmm. Did I hydrate? Have I gone to the bathroom? Those are like basic body needs that I just ignored and ignored and like just stopped even paying attention to what happened below my brain. And that has been a real shift for me. And and in that small, it, it seems small, but it was a huge shift because I just started to recognize myself and and that wasn't something that I ever found value in before and so I hope that this is just like a step one that everyone can take for themselves to really stop for just a moment set an alarm set a timer give yourself breaks this is like basic shit that we hear from every guru every self-help person every whatever but really framing it 
in this understanding of how we were raised. As children, we were told only God. Give the, give the glory to God. Focus on God. Um, everything is for God, from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. It's That is a real mindfuck <laughs> when you're a little kid um, because it, it just tells you you don't exist and that that's good and that's a positive thing. And I... We all exist. So let's know ourselves in a different way. Let's ask ourselves questions and let's find out who we are so that we can at least put a little kindness, a little energy towards our own self-healing and that that's okay. It's not selfish and that it's, it's actually a really good first step towards feeling that self-empowerment. And you can find peace and healing in spirituality and have yourself. You don't have to lose yourself to have faith. Absolutely. And I think that the faith that we were raised in was very much that way, but there is very much freedom. And I would say, figure out yourself first and then ask yourself, is this something that is like, that I can, is going to add to my life and is going to be enriching and yeah, I think that we we talk a lot of shit on evangelicalism and we get into our own spiritualities a little bit, but just know like once you know yourself and you're able to, which I'm still figuring out, I'm not saying this as someone who has the freaking answers because <laughs> I don't, um, <laughs> but it's been really freeing to feel like I know less about like faith or the afterlife or Jesus or whatever than I used to, but I also feel more like sp spiritual freedom than I ever have, that I'm in a community where I can ask questions and I feel like I can be myself mm -hmm. and I don't have to shrink and I don't have to, you know, yeah, I've, I haven't heard a platitude like, like less of me, more of him in fucking in years and years. And it's so freeing, you know, that that's not the kind of shit that I'm hearing from the pulpit. And so... Yeah, I just think that getting in touch with like yourself and your desires and figuring out, you know, whether it be the basics of starting and writing that down those words that are not charged and then kind of building it back from there, whatever that looks like. That's a really interesting. I'm going to have I'm such a verbal process. I'm such a shoot from the hip gal as well. And so I'm always like, like when you gave your example of like someone's like at church being like, you know, telling someone to spank the kid, I'd be like, fuck that. I'm out of that church. You know, I was like, I'm not saying that I'm, I'd go talk to that parent and be like, you should leave. I'm like, I'm not talking to that pastor. I'm like, everyone should leave. Get your children out of here. That's what I would do. But that's not a the point of the exercise. she is a woman of action <laughs> well it could be an aligned choice for someone yeah you know? and I, think, I think part of the point is that for some people that's super obvious and it wouldn't feel hard to you right like to you you'd be like oh that's a deal breaker absolutely not i mean yeah like for some people that's a 100 percent a boundary violation even saying it for other people that isn't a boundary violation, but it still feels terrible and they want to navigate it or they don't want to lose a community and it is a boundary violation. And how do you navigate boundary violations in the space of not wanting to lose community? I think it is more nuanced for, it's different for different people, I guess. I'm like you, I would be like, oh, well, I mean, I'm already out of the church, so it, it doesn't even seem hard to me. <laughs> 
A little example of my own experience when I was first in therapy and talking about my relationship with my then husband, and he was really awful for me to live with. But my therapist was like, huh, is that something you want to continue to experience? And I'm like, well, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Get divorced? I'm not going to get divorced. That'd be so annoying. And she's like, I loved my divorce. And just that I was like, you did? That's weird. It it just gave... people can think like that. Weird. Yeah, it just opened that teeth. You know, it's the mm. devil got a foothold. All right, <laughs> by saying that to me, and yeah. then came home to roost. But no, I'm just kidding. But but what it did was help me to see that there was a possibility to think of it in such a completely different way. Like it wasn't even about oh, if I get divorced, it's evil or bad, or like, I'm not ever going to think about it because it's not something that I'm ever going to do because that's the boundary. You know, the rule is you're married, you stay fucking married to the fucking person you fucking married or else. And that, like, I guess I got the or else part and I'm really glad I did. But I think those are the kinds of moments where some, some little like glimmer of something else can shine through just a little bit, even if we've put those blinders on ourselves, like as hardcore as we need to, to survive in the situations that we've been in, when they start to fall away and when you start to understand like what's really going on. And there are many, many opportunities to make different decisions for myself and my life. Then you, then you do have a different level of trust and empowerment in yourself to say, I can choose my life. And it doesn't have to be a divorce. It doesn't have to be a leaving of everything or whatever. In my case, it feels like it is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my thing I do. Um, But (laughs) just kidding. It's not my thing I do. Um, Yeah. I just think, I think it is really beautiful when we're able to share experiences and say even those little tiny things of like, I loved my divorce. Well, I didn't like getting divorced. It was a pain in the ass, but I really appreciate that I'm not married to the same person. Yeah. It was work that was worth it. I mean, I think, I think that that's the thing is that when we're stuck in that binary of, I have to do the horrible, terrible thing that I'm never going to do, or I have to stay status quo. And and then you can pop out of it by doing, so the framework that I use, I call the impact model. And it just is a, um, like acrostic basically. And, um, but if you, but the basic way that you think about it is if you attend to the outcome that you want. So the outcome in the Mary example is safe kids in church, and you can take one action towards keeping kids safe in church. That action might be volunteer at the Sunday school. It might not be go confront Mary, right? It could be go confront Mary, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could be speak to the parent who was told to spank their kid and say, hey, I support you if you choose not to do that. There are tons of actions that you can take. Then you want to track up to how do you need to feel in order to take that action. Sometimes you need to feel fear. Sometimes you need to feel courage. Sometimes you need to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes you need to feel uh, grounded. You don't always need to feel how you want to feel in order to take the action that you need to take. And then what's a thought that is going to create that feeling? So if the feeling is courage, the thought isn't necessarily um, I'm the most powerful person in the room and I've done this 1,700 times, so it's going to be easy, right? The thought might be this is really hard, but it's worth taking this action 
because I'm committed to getting the result that I want, right? Sometimes the thought is I'm allowed to take a break. Sometimes, you know, if the result is that you need to be cared for. But it's rarely, hey, asshole, go speak up and stand up for yourself like you suck. Like mm-hmm. that is not the the thought that motivates people to take action and get the results that they want. That is kind of if the alternative to status quo is being an asshole to yourself, you're probably going to stay stuck in the dynamic that you're in. Meredith, I have a lot of things to think about. I have a lot of things to process. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity with you. Um, This will not be the last time that we hear from you. But if people want to engage with you in different ways, um, they can go listen to the Empowered Communication podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, it is focused on workplace communication. But I have found such important insights and revelations through this that I've been able to apply in all places in my life. So I I really encourage people to go and listen. Um, And people can also work with you at Eris Conflict Resolution. You do amazing mediations. You are a pro at agreements. And when I say agreements, I'm talking about relationship agreements. And those are something that we would love to get more into on another episode. Uh, but can you tell us about Eris Conflict Resolution and, and, and who is Eris and why did you choose that name? Yeah, so Eris is the Greek goddess of discord. Um, the One of the messages of Eris is that it's through... Uh, it's through discord that you appreciate harmony, that you bring harmony. It's through kind of conflict that you um, find creativity. And so a, a lot of my past is working in civil rights work, like we talked about with discrimination issues and sexual harassment has been a real focus of mine. And my experience is that we in society, we want to have diversity. We know that diversity brings creativity. We know difference is something that makes us stronger, but we don't have a lot of framework to deal with it because with difference comes conflict, right? Like saying that you want difference is similar to saying you want conflict. But what we've sort of tried to do in American society is we've tried to say we want difference, but we don't want any conflict. So we just want different looking people to comply with the narratives that we've um set our normal quote unquote in society. And so what I try to do in workplace conflict mediations and co- communication coaching is I go in and help people really bring themselves and allow conflict to happen so that we can get to the other side of building something creative so that we can build I mean ultimately new structures that really serve people and work for people where we're bringing ourselves and doing our work and we're not just trying to um, crouch under old frameworks that don't serve us anymore. Let's... And and to be clear, because I <laughs> this took me a long, too long to figure this out as a supporter. It is not heiress like a person inheriting a fortune, right? It is not H E I. Yes, because that is what I heard for the first however yeah, long. That makes sense. Uh, so. Just when it's an, only an audio format, you got to spell it E R I S. Yeah. So if you want to visit okay. the website, it's erisresolution.com, E R I S resolution.com. 
sweet. I just but wanted also, to make sure that if other people's brains work like mine, I right. just want to make sure they heard it correctly. We welcome heiresses also. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's included here. <laughs> I would love to be an heiress. Can someone give yeah. me their fortunes, yeah. please? That please would be adopt great. Lindsay. She is 40 something. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like to be an heiress. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so I'll much. I'll use the money for good. I promise. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much, Meredith. This has been a really enlightening, engaging, and mind-blowingly changing conversation. And I hope that we all take a little time to invest in ourselves uh, because, you know, less of them, more of me. <laughs> That's our motto for the year. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay. Mm-mm. If you like this podcast, review it. We need five stars, please. So everyone can come here. This is I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. And so it's going to go on and on like that. If you don't go rate and review. I could review Uh your podcast forever. That's right. Give it five stars And also if you write a little something about what you've gained or learned or anything interesting from listening to this podcast and you want other people like you to find us, then please feel free to write your experience. And um, of course, don't forget to meet us at our Facebook group. I can't do this part. That's not, I'm just Uh, not doing it. You can find us on the social meds. We are on TikTok. We are on Instagram. We are on YouTube and we have a Facebook group. So we are on the internet a lot. So come find us there. Tell us your stories or just listen to us being ridiculous on the internet. You can also subscribe to our Patreon or through Apple Podcasts if you want to listen without ads. And Patreon, we have all sorts of fun content coming at you. We do high times with the most high over there, which is literally we get high and we talk about the Lord and or other ridiculous things. Um, And that's not the only Patreon that we do. We do other fun things, too. So please uh, join us. We love this community. We love our ghosties. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We are Holy Ghosting. Did I hit it all? You did. That was gorgeous.